Speak to us now, O Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we've come, dear Lord. We're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass, but your word, God, will forever last. We're ready for your word. Father, we pray that as your word goes forth, you will bless both the proclaiming and the hearing of your word. That together they might work in harmony, in synergy, so that they will produce the life change in all of us who will receive what you have for us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Break through strongholds and barriers. Break through excuses that will keep us from living for you. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. So according to legend, this figure was given birth to early in the 19th century, around 1812 or so, during the Spanish, uh, the War of 1812. There was a gentleman by the name of Samuel Wilson from Troy, New York, who was a businessman, and one of the things he did was produce food. And he was given a contract to provide meat for U.S. soldiers during the War of 1812. And he would stamp all of the meat U.S. in order to identify that it was for the U.S. troops. So they knew where to deliver it. Uh, Samuel Wilson, as he grew older, was called Uncle Sam. The caricature that we know of today was actually developed some years later by the artist James Montgomery Flagg. In his version, Uncle Sam wears this top hat, and it was during World War I in particular that the image that most of us are familiar with was given birth to. Uncle Sam pointing saying, I want you. Uncle Sam, U.S., representing the U.S. government. It was used as a recruiting poster all across this country. And we've seen that image rise up over and over again when our country was in a place of war and there was this need to uh, see a resurgence in patriotism. We saw it in response to 9-11, where hundreds of men and women, thousands of men and women, went and signed up the day after 9-11 to go and fight the troops that had invaded the U.S. But there's somebody else that wants you today. Even more ominous than that finger of that kind of thin, frail old man pointing at you is the geovistic finger of God. Because just like Uncle Sam wanted men and women back in the day, God wants you today. Now you say, God wants me to do what? God wants you to make a commitment to fulfill every potential that God has placed within you. 
God wants you to do what he has assigned you to do because God understands that your ultimate fulfillment in life is not going to be found in getting stuff, but it's going to be found in being used by God in the maximum way possible. Today, for a few moments, I want to continue our series, I Am Hope. Why being church is more important than just coming to church. And I want to talk today from the thought, how to be salt in a dying world. How to be salt in a dying world. I want you to think for a moment about what it is that God wants you to do and the opportunities that God gives you to make a difference in the world. Not the church in general. Not your membership. Not your family. No. What does God want you to do individually to help make a difference in this world? If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Now, our foundational text today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It is part of that larger series of lessons called the Sermon on the Mount. The teachings of Jesus regarding our attitudes, the Beatitudes, and how we are to live and how we are to act, how we are to interact with one another. But for Jesus, he makes a shift here in verse 13, and I want you to write this down. The Lord wants you to understand the power of your presence. Everybody, write that down for yourself. The power of your presence or write down the power of my presence. You see, I submit to you today that most of us overvalue other people and undervalue ourselves when we talk about the importance of our presence. Many of you can remember back to those people who were patriarchs and matriarchs of your family, Mud Deer and Big Mama and Big Papa and Big Daddy and, and all of those that we looked up to, Uncle Buck and, and everybody else, right? And, and, and when we looked up to them, we saw them as people who made a difference. And when they walked in the house, their presence mattered. And, and what you have failed to really grasp is that time has positioned you to become like those you once looked up to. That you have become Big Mama. Even though you want to call yourself Go-Go and Ga-Ga and all that stuff, you as Big Mama as they come. That you have become Big Annie. You have become Big Daddy. That's what you have become for those who are now looking up to you. And the question is, will you be who God created you to be, and will you be who time has positioned you to become? Here's the first thing. Number one, you've been chosen by the Lord and to be salt. You've been chosen by the Lord and to be salt. God has chosen you, and God has chosen you to be salt. If uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. In the ancient world, salt was highly valued. The Greeks called salt divine. The Romans said there were only two things that were useful in the world, sun and 
salt. As a matter of fact, when you met somebody and they were really good people, you would say they were the salt of the earth. Uh, There was a time that salt was worth more than gold in terms of its value and its usefulness. Jesus says you are the salt. Indicative mood, present tense, active voice, right now. Not that you are to become the salt. Not that God is waiting for you to grow up in the salt. He says, no, you are salt. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are salt. That's who you are. And God has an expectation for salt. Look at A. You are to be a person of purity. You are to be a person of purity. Salt was always connected with purity because salt was used to cleanse. Salt was used to purify. Salt was uh, used to maintain standards of, of, of purity. The Romans said that salt was the purest of all things, and we are an example of and are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the best that we can possibly be, and truthfully, we should be the best the world has to offer. We are to be salt. And listen, one of the standards of, of this world or the characteristics of this world is the lowering of our standards. And, and now people are calling what's wrong right and what's right wrong. Uh, they, they, they have lowered uh, standards of honesty and morality and And now we have moved into this age of relativism that we've never moved into before. In situational ethics, just the other day they were interviewing President 45 and and the president asked the president about telling the truth. And and he said, well, I I, I tell the truth usually. Whenever I can, I tell the truth, you know. Like whenever I can, which means whenever you can, you lie. Like what we... you know, this, this idea of what, what is a standard of morality? What is a standard of godliness? What is the standard of, of diligence? What's the standard of honesty? My brothers and sisters, we are called to be standard bearers. We are called to be salt. That's what we're called to be. And listen to me carefully. If you think the world is bad now, Imagine how bad it would be if you pulled all of the Christians out and pulled the church folk out, even the folk who are pretending to play church. How many of them, if you pulled all of them out, how much worse would the world be? But watch B. You are to be a person who preserves. You are to be a person who preserves. In the ancient world, salt was one of the commonest preservatives. It was used to keep things from going bad, keep things from spoiling, keep things from rottening. Even now, if you, for example, get some meat and you season it up and you salt it up real good and put it in the refrigerator, it'll last so much longer than if you just leave it in the cellophane because salt preserves, salt keeps. I can remember when we had hog killing time in the fall of the year, and, and inevitably when you would kill hogs and, and you would kill cattle, etc., you had more meat than you had refrigerator and freezer space for. And you would always bless the neighbors with 
you know, meat and hams and shoulders, etc. cetera. Uh, but what was left, when you ran out of refrigerator and freezer space, you had to figure out a way to keep it from going bad. And so we would salt the meat down. Some of the meat we would salt, we would wet it up and, and smear salt all around it. Some of it you would inject with salt to make sure that salt got to the bone. And then you would spray, uh, uh, smear some pepper on it to keep the flies off of it. And that salt would keep the meat from going bad. My brothers and my sisters, listen, you and I as salt, we are a preserving agent. We should keep our households from going bad. We should keep situations from going bad. We should keep things on our job from going bad. And if you think they're bad now, boy, look here. If you wasn't there, it would be so much worse. We are to be a preserving agent. Look at C. You are to be a person who adds positiveness to make the world better. You are a person who's supposed to add positiveness to make the world better. Arguably the greatest and most obvious quality of salt is that salt gives flavor to things. Salt makes things taste better. The tragedy is, even though we have been deemed to be salt, many of us don't make the world better. We make people bitter. People look at us and say, if that's what being a Christian is about, I don't want any parts of it. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, that noted statesman, is reported to have said he was entertaining becoming a clergyman until he got around them and realized that they looked and acted more like undertakers. Robert Louis Stevenson once entered into his diary as if recording some extraordinary phenomenon. He said, I went to church today and am not depressed. Do we become facilitators of people experiencing God? When they come in contact with you, do they feel like they had a God moment? I mean, isn't it a tragedy that those of us who have been given joy are not known to give joy? Those of us who have been given the greatest love in the world are not known to be people of love. We have been given peace that passes all understanding, but we are not people who bring peace into our situations. Jesus says, there's no other salt than you because you are the salt. Look at Mark 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Colossians 4, 6, let's read it together. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Underline that phrase, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Man, when people get on your last nerves, be salt. When they make you want to give them a piece of your mind, be salt. When they walk around discouraging others, be salt and be a source of encouragement for somebody. 
Here's the second thing. Number two, your presence is to positively make a difference everywhere you go. Your presence is to positively make a difference everywhere you go. You are the salt of the earth. Everybody say of the earth. Now, can I tell you one of the faux pas of many Christians? We believe that we have been saved singularly to make it to heaven. Songs that we sing about getting to heaven, walking around heaven, finding our loved ones in heaven, singing in heaven, going to meet Jesus in heaven. But the problem is some of us are so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Can I tell you something? If God didn't need you to be salt on earth, that means when you got saved, he should have just killed you and taken you to heaven right away. No, no. I mean, why leave you on earth? If you're not going to do anything on earth, why leave you here? If it's all about heaven, then you say, I, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. Lord, Lord says, okay, fine. You're in the family of God. Come on now. Come on to heaven. Boom. Gone. God has more for you than just heaven. God has a job for you to do on earth. Listen to me carefully. Your mission is to be the salt of the earth. Not the salt of the church. The salt of the earth. Can I tell you one of the biggest problems we have in the church? Not you, but the person next to you. Can I tell you the biggest problem they have? They busy trying to out-salt somebody else in the salt shaker. My salt is better than your salt. My salt crystals are bigger than your salt crystals. Right? My salt is spread out in the trip more than your salt. No, 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 no. You are the salt of the earth. Don't be bragging about how much salt you are in the salt shaker. Salt in the salt shaker does us no good. The salt has to get out in the world, making a difference on those who are around you and those you come in contact with. That's the power of salt. Salt affects everything it comes in contact with. And God says, I need you to be salt. See, your place of ministry is not the church. Your place of ministry is the world. And, and if anything, we just come back here for a pit stop to refuel, to go back out and be salt where God gives us an opportunity to be salt. Jesus says you make a difference when you live as salt. Look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the end of the earth. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem. You should be salt in Jerusalem where people know you. You should be salt in Judea where they don't know you. You should be salt in Samaria where they don't like you. You should be salt in, to the ends of the earth where they don't expect you. 
You have an opportunity to be salt everywhere you go. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Let's read it together. When you talk, don't say anything bad, but say the good things that people need, whatever will help them grow stronger. Then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. Say the good things that people need, whatever will make them grow stronger. Here's the third and final thing. Number three, you must commit to doing all you can while you have the chance. You must commit to doing all you can while you have the chance. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus refers to the salt losing its taste or becoming bland. He goes on to say when salt stops being salty, it is no longer good for anything. Now, here's what's interesting. Salt, by its nature, by its definition, by its chemical compound, only stops being salty when it stops being salt. In other words, when it stops being sodium chloride, it stops being salt. So it can't be salty if, it's stopped, if it has stopped being salt. Somebody said, well, what does that have to do with me, pastor? You stop being a Christian when you stop being Christ-like. Even though you are still a Christian, you in essence become a good-for-nothing Christian because even though you are a Christian, since you stop being Christ-like, you are now no longer a Christian that's really worth having. Listen, here's the issue. How useful are you when it comes to the kingdom work? How useful are you? Uselessness is unacceptable to God. Inactivity is unacceptable to God. There are only two kinds of people in the world, people who rode a boat and people who rocked a boat. And you can't be a rower and a rocker. Somebody said, well, I'm just a sitter. Then you are a rocker. You're not a rower. Because you need to get an oar in your hand and start rowing. If not, you are just dead weight. Who in here wants to be a good-for-nothing Christian? A Christian that's good for nothing except coming to church. That's all you're good for. That's your claim to fame. I go to church. Raggedy on Monday, but I go to church on Sunday. Hanging out all night on Saturday, but I go to church on Sunday. You're not soft. You're not light. You're not encouraging. You don't bring joy. You don't bring love. You don't bring peace, but you go to church. And Jesus says, you are a saltless saint. You, you have become a good-for-nothing Christian. Look at John 9, verse 4. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Let's read it together. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I want to read James chapter 2, verses 19. I'll stop at verse 24. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Let me close by telling you this. There is nothing else and no one who will be the salt of the earth other than you. So the question is, will you be salt and what kind of salt will you be? Be the best salt you can be. So I, I get in these uh, moods, man, I, when I just really love to cook. I always love to eat. Got, got a gift of consumption, but, um, but I get in those moods, man, when I really like to cook, and I feel like I'm channeling, like, the spirit of my mother and my great-grandmother, right? And uh, so I had, this, I had this taste for some stuff. I'm not, not going to tell you what I cook because y'all will be over at the house. Y'all will be like, oh, man. But I mean, them, them greens with them ham hocks, man, I just, woo, the red beans, boy, look here. Mm. had to put this pork shoulder on, you know what I mean, marinate that thing three, four days. I was like, <laughs> yes, Lord. So anyway, I'm looking at the recipe, and, and the recipe called for kosher salt. So, you know, typically I'm one of those people, I'll, I'll adjust the recipe, you know, improvise, Right? I said, you know what, okay, kosher salt, I'm going to go get some kosher salt. I don't know why I need kosher salt, why I can't use table salt. I understand why I can't use sea salt, because sea salt doesn't have as high a sodium content. It doesn't taste as salty. As I got that, I said, all right, I'm going to go get some kosher salt. So I'm going to go get some kosher salt. I go to the spice aisle in the supermarket to get some kosher salt, and y'all, I haven't seen so much salt in my life. No, no, no. Listen, there was kosher salt. There was sea salt, flake salt, smoked salt, seasoned salt, Himalayan pink salt, Hawaiian black salt, pickling salt, rock salt, and table salt. And I'm looking at all of these salts. Now, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, boy, I wonder if I use some Himalayan pink salt in there, what would that do? Or what's the difference between Himalayan pink salt and Hawaiian black salt? 
besides the cost. But here's what I realized. All of those salts had one thing in common. They were all salty. (laughs) Different degrees, different appearances, but they all had salt content. And all I'm trying to get somebody to understand is, don't look at somebody else's salt and get mad because your salt doesn't look like their salt or their salt is not like your salt. Just be the salt that God has created you to be. Be your salt in your neighborhood. Be your salt in your family. Be your salt in your home. Be your salt on your job. Be your salt on your school. Be your salt wherever God has placed you. Because when you're the salt that God has called you to be, wherever he's placed you, that's the salt he needs right there. Father, we thank you and we bless you. God, we know that there will be challenges to being salt. Uh, We know, God, that we will come up against discouraging times where to be salt, we would have to be encouraging. Uh, Times where people are depressed where to be salt, we would have to uplift them. People in dark times, we would have to be salt and be light for them. People in chaotic times, God, our our call to be salt will be to bring peace in the midst of that confusion. But God, help us to be salt, to make a commitment to leave every situation and circumstance better than when we found it. To leave people better instead of battered and bitter because we've been there. Help us to be encouraging. Help us to be loving. Help us to be the kind of salt that you have created us to be to make a difference in the world that we live. We love you and we ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.